The Athletic. Well, they were once the envy of the Premier League due to their shrewd transfer dealings and ability to develop young players full of potential. But with two games still to play, Southampton have become the first side relegated this season, uh, bringing to an end an 11-year stay in the top flight. We'll ask how it ended like this, who is responsible and do the club have too much of a reliance on data and analytics? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Southampton are relegated with a record 24th defeat of the season. Southampton have parted company with Ralph Harsenhutl. Statistically, there weren't many better than me around Europe in terms for aggression, clean sheets, defending your box, balls in the box, XG, all those things. I think all about having no regrets and leaving everything out there and over the course of the season that's caught up with us and ultimately that's why we are, we are where we are now. So joining us for this one are The Athletic's Matt Slater and Dan Sheldon, as well as our Southampton writer, Jacob Tanswell. I'll, just, I'll start with you, Jacob, because you've seen this game by game. Is it possible to put your finger on one thing for why they are down? I think that's the general argument now amongst the fan base. I think this season is probably a culmination of, of errors across several seasons. Things weren't perfect before the ownership, I'm sure we'll come on to them, Sport Republic. Southampton were declining in terms of their recruitment, their ways of working. They were no longer the data-led, innovative club that was ahead of the curve uh, and they were slowly regressing. Ralph Hartnettle did an unbelievable job to keep them relatively stable with a hand-to-mouth budget. But once his magnetism was faded, once his relationship with players fractured, then the downward spiral basically just spiraled and it increased. And I think Sport Republic haven't played their role in, in fixing that. They've, their argument is they've had to add fresh impetus into an environment that, that was becoming, uh, that was a malaise. But at the same time, they've spent a lot of money. And if you look on it, surface level, they've they've got worse, the team. Uh, and if you look at the recruitment, I'm sure we'll come on to it, Chappers. It's, it's been poor. Uh, so I think this season's probably accelerated the decline, but the warning signs were there. When you say they felt they had to add fresh impetus because there was a malaise, are they talking playing-wise? Are they talking coaching-wise? Are they talking club-wise? All of them? Yeah, everything. I think you see it now with the amount of departures that are leaving. Henrik Kraft, uh, one of the co-founders of Sport Republic, wasn't happy with the existing scouting system. He thought it was pretty old school. Uh, there wasn't enough reliance on data. Uh, so he's wanting to overthrow it. But that's at odds with what he told us in November in, in, in an interview. He said what he's discovered at Slampton, he was happy with. And it was just now about alignment. But if you look at the club now and the amount of departures and just the, the division in the dressing room and in the club, I don't think there's any alignment at all so yeah it's one of those things that is, is surprising a lot of people and and sport republic have, have to take their share fair share of the blame tell me about sport republic matt before we go any further what can i tell you about them so they're they're an interesting group they've set up they've set up to to buy southampton and to i think eventually get into a multi-club model when they've they have made a start they've also bought a uh, a team in turkey second tier called Gostepi. 
They've got a couple of other sport-related business. One's called Tonsa, which is a an app that is helps grassroots footballers kind of track their careers. So it's basically a couple of Danes, Rasmus Ankerson and Henrik Kraft. Uh, Henrik Kraft has a he's a he's a he's a merchant banker, which is not a rhyme slang. He's, you know, he's an investor. He has worked for quite a few, you know, well known banks and investment funds. Uh, very much investing in the sort of tech, media, entertainment space, and that is how he met Sport Republic's financial backer, a guy called Dragon Solak, who's a really really interesting Serbian multi millionaire. Billionaire, probably, well, certainly very close. Who ha- emerged from, um, you know, the kind of Yugoslav civil war crisis in Serbia as as a as a sort of self made man in in the entertainment space. You know, he started buying radio stations and TV stations and uh, and built a, a a pretty pretty impressive empire across the Balkans. They're called United Group now. They're based in the Netherlands. They have operations, you know, in lots of European countries. Ankerson's uh, is, is probably the most interesting, I think, person for Southampton fans because, of course, he made his reputation at Brentford. He's a sort of former player, came from Micheland. Micheland is the team also owned by Brentford owner Matthew Benham, uh, or, you know, sort of co-owner. Ankerson is a, is a sort of a big thinker. He was uh, basically director of football. I'm not sure what his actual title was at Brentford, but I think he was director of football. Uh, he, he sort of came up with a lot of the sort of strategies that that Brentford are rightly being eulogised for uh, right now. Now, as ever with success stories, there then comes a bit of a debate about, well, whose idea was it really? And I had a bit of that and it wasn't all him. So there's inevitably some of that about Ankerson. Um, so you've got these interesting guys. You've got Ankerson, the the high performance guru who came from Michelin, data led, ticking all the things, all the boxes that we talk about regularly. Uh, Mark, uh, you know, is what every modern football club should be doing. You've got this sort of money guy, Henry Kraft, uh, and you've got this connection to this Serbian, very successful guy. You know, who's built this media empire, and he is providing the the bullets, if you like. But the thing with this, Dan, and and you've covered the club as well, is that whilst Ankerson was sporting director, director of football at Brentford, within Southampton's ownership and managerial structure, when I say managerial structure, I'm talking about executives rather than football manager. There were other people within Southampton who were already doing the role that he did at, at Brentford. So even that side of it was slightly... What, confused? Bloated? Yeah, I think you could probably say it was bloated. I think Matt Crocker, who was or is Southampton's director of football, who, who's obviously taking a role at, at US men's soccer now, he he was in situ when, when Sport Republic took over and he was one of the first to bite the bullet of, you're not really our guy, so we want someone else. So he, he's leaving at the end of the season, but it, we, we broke the story in December that he's going. So you, you do have a kind of a clash of ideas and methods and practices. And I think what's worth remembering is, you know, the existing structure. And I know you hosted an awards night, so you know most of them as well. I, I kind of feel that may be where it started to go wrong. <laughs> maybe, Dan, maybe. To it, be it honest was, with you. Was, but anyhow. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they were very much left to it in terms of running the football club because they had an owner, in, um, Mr. Gao in China, who didn't really get involved at all. 
So they had autonomy to, to do what they like, put the decisions in. They didn't have any money to spend or money to play with, but they could make day-to-day decisions and there were no real checks and balances. However, new owners come in, all of a sudden there's checks and balances and then you get a clash of, of ideas. Well, we do it this way, yeah, but we don't want you to do it this way. We want you to do it this way. And that ultimately creates tension over time. And I think, as Jacob's already alluded to, you know, the number of senior executives, and these aren't just kind of low-level senior managers. These are guys, someone like Toby Steele. I mean, he, he was running the club day-to-day, basically, um, before Sport Republic came. So these are very senior people leaving. And, and of course, just on the background as well, Matt, as we always say, it's fine having the data. It's fine being data-driven. It's actually knowing what to do with it that is the most important thing. And we talk about the Brentford structure. I do think Brentford and Brighton are quite interesting in that they're owned, they're owned by men who specialise in analytics and algorithms and but from a from from a betting side, don't they? From a from a from a gambling side. So these clubs, if you take someone from these clubs like Rasmus Ankerson, you're taking them out like with a player. You're taking them out of a good structure. Doesn't mean they can necessarily replicate it where they go next. Oh, 100%. You know, culture, people around you, um, absolute faith and commitment to the idea. These are all essential. You know, any organization will tell you that. I think the thing about data, which we, we talk about so much, don't we, on this podcast and we write about it all the time, it, it, it is the thing, right? It's been the thing in, in sport for at least a decade. You know, in the States for a bit longer, you know, it's probably all sort of kind of started, certainly in terms of, fans being aware of it with baseball but the one thing I'd sort of say about it is that everyone's kind of doing it now so it's no longer the competitive advantage it was when the Oakland A's were doing it or when Saracens first started talking about it in rugby union or when Liverpool started applying it everyone's doing it now right so the really good clubs are doing something slightly different they haven't started telling it hopefully they haven't started telling us all about it yet but we'll be writing about it in a few years time and everybody who I think is now achieving some success at this, is 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 understanding the numbers they're getting. All right, well, that's that's a little bit irrelevant. And that's the key thing to understand now. And okay, we now know that about how this works. How do we actually sort of find those guys? You know, what what do we do with this information? And and that's the trick, isn't it? That's the trick. And certainly at Brentford is an example of them 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 getting it, you know, from from sort of from Numbers to outcomes hasn't happened yet at Southampton. Now, does that mean it's never going to happen at Southampton? No. Does that mean that Sport Republic's ideas are wrong? No. They just haven't got it right yet. Now, I might be racing ahead here. This has been a, a, a shocking season, but they now get a chance to reset. Yeah, you are absolutely. You you are racing it. You are racing ahead. That's yeah. to come. <laughs> oh, I apologise. Cut that bit out and then put that last bit. <laughs> no, there we'll we keep it We're in because that's a good tease for what's to come. What's to come later, J- Jacob? Therefore, when we talk about the different people behind the scenes, when that has come to recruiting players, moving players on, has that made it more difficult, convoluted, too many voices? Yeah, I think so. I think recruitment is probably indicative of of the lack of direction in the club. Like we can talk about data, and data is 
using data is absolutely fine. It's just whether there is that alignment and that's sport republic's buzzword. I think if you look at the players they've signed, I would suggest the data shows up favourably. You think the £18 million striker Paul Onuachu, who was signed for Nathan Jones, he, he lasted two more games before he was sacked. Ruben Sellers came in because Lampton wanted to return to their high press, pressing principles and Paul Onuachu can't particularly run. He's not, he can't link the play and he can't work in the red zone, which is basically a cornerstone of what they try to try to do under Harsin to unsell us. So if you're looking at the data perspective, it, it's not correct. And then it, there's this questions of whether some of these signings are Ankerson led in terms of he knows some agents like Onoachu. There's a there was a midfielder in January that they liked and it's because of his he knew the agent quite well. It's whether the, these people on the shortlist on the recruitment are being listened to or are they just simply feeding the data to, to Ankerson who will just decide anyway what he, what direction he wants to go in so I think there's been the issue of alignment and recruitment has been the underlying theme throughout there's been a, a lack of uh, youth and experience has been a complete imbalance and from the summer people said this is a risky strategy. You Sport Republic have to get their first season, first full season at Southampton right. But you look at the players they've signed, they signed 10 players in the summer, only two were over 25 and only Maitland-Niles had Premier League experience. So there's questions there too. There was a, there was a report, Jacob, in the, in the Telegraph, I think, that described one Southampton insider, to use their phrase, as saying the squad was basically, slightly unfair on a couple of players, this I think, but it was basically James Ward-Prowse and a load of children. Yeah, I've, we've, we've heard that a number of times throughout the season. Uh, Wal Prowse has been carrying the bird on his shoulders for a number of years, but it's been especially the case this season because if you look at the team, those who are experienced aren't necessarily always in, in the team and it's it's even Wal Prowse, he's only 28 himself, but has been around for <laughs> over a decade now to, to carry the can. He he basically does everything. He sings the theme tune, he writes the town music, he, hmm. he takes the free kicks, he scores all the goals, he makes the most tackles, makes the most passes. And then you look at what he does off the pitch as well. He's the conduit between the dressing room and, and the board and the management. So there's a lot of pressure on it, on him. And he it's just symptomatic of the lack of experience helping to supplement those youth. Which... which- takes me back a little bit, Dan, to the players who've left the club. What really struck me at that hugely successful awards night that you mentioned was um, uh, was um, the respect in the room from players and Southampton fans for Oriol Romeo. And he had a great season last season. And he was like, I mean, I can remember interviewing James Will Prowse several times that night. And what came through was he, he was kind of Will Prowse's protector as well in that. So to then find that he has moved on, you kind of think it's all very well bringing in Lavia and and some of the and the younger players, but they do need guidance. And I and I wonder whether actually the departure of someone like Romeo was was indicative of their thinking, really. I, I think so. I mean, we we can all sit back here now with kind of twenty twenty vision and hindsight and say it was an absolute disaster to to let him go. But if we go back to the beginning of the season. Lavia was the it thing, right? It was, yeah. oh my God, who's this player they've played? He's amazing. And Oriol was on the bench and no one was talking about, oh my God, we need to get Oriol in the team. It's, oh wow, have you seen this 18-year-old who's never played men's football before that is scoring against Chelsea? And it's only now when you look back and you think it was a huge error to, to let Romeo go in. You, I, you know, I'm not claiming I was ahead of the curve, but I thought it was a mistake at the time because he just was that, he was just such a good guy. Above all, he was like a good human being and sort of younger players would gravitate towards him. And there was a detail in Jacob's relegation read where you know, eventually the players had to start getting changed in two dressing rooms. 
stapled at the training ground and you had all the senior guys, which is basically Prousey and anyone over the age of 25 in, in one dressing room and all the 18, 19 year olds in another dressing room. And you just think that shouldn't, I know the squad was bloated, but there were certainly concerns amongst the senior players that these young guys just don't understand the situation we're in at the moment. Like they have no idea of we're bottom of the league. We're going to go down. We're all going to get kind of our wages almost dashed in half. Like there was just no sense of, of gravity of quite what's facing them. And Oriol just being there, he's such a calm, steady hand and just Mr. Reliable. Um, you know, it wasn't the best player in the world, certainly wasn't the worst player, but letting him go was a huge mistake. But they, the club would say he wanted to leave. So what do you do? You know, he, he went to them and said, look, I want to go back to Spain. And there's mm. this offer from Girona. What, what, what do you do in that situation? You know, that's what the club will say. And also, to be fair to the club as well and everybody involved here, it was a very fractious end to last season as well. Let, let's not pretend that they ended last season all sweetness and light and full of optimism going forward. It felt, They sort of stumbled over the line. It was quite acrimonious in places. There were rumours around about Hassan Hootel and some of the players and whether he was even talking to, to some of them. I mean, the, su- the summer was fractious, or the end of the season was fractious. So you can understand... Dan, can't you? Why they want they had to try something in the summer yeah. to to, yeah, to you, go again? You had players going to the board saying that we're not gonna we don't want to play for this club again, and Frauf's going to be the manager next season. It, so again, like you can look back now and say, well, was it a mistake sacking Ralph? The mistake was they didn't sack Ralph in the summer. That was that was the mistake. Um, because what they did do was something I don't think any of us had ever heard of happening. They biffed all his yeah, coaching yeah, they, yeah, team. Yeah, they got rid of all of his coaching team and, and kept him in place and kind of... But, you know, I was kind of being told at the time, well, we're going to stick with him, but we're just going to wait until the World Cup because that seems like a good place to sack a manager. So it's almost like they already made their minds up that they were going to sack him. But it's just that kind of way of thinking, whether it's an arrogance or complacency or just stupidity kind of led to, to Nathan Jones, which, I mean, that's a whole other podcast in itself, but... Don't you start, throw, <laughs> don't you start throwing ahead. Uh, <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Chappers. It was, to think this is just a, a culmination of this season is absolutely wrong. I mean, they've been sleepwalking into this for well over a year and that's, that malaise started definitely under Hassan Hootel. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. I'm not sure I'd ever heard, I'd ever heard of that before, Matt. Had you? 
It's rare, isn't it? But they've done a lot of unusual things this season. Look, I would, I, I, having leapt way forward, I'm going to go backwards <laughs> now. I, I think, I think the seeds of of this season were sown several years ago, right? So I, you know, I try sometimes to take a sort of bigger view, wider view. I don't know, further back, uh, look at things, and and so Southampton. Before I was born, they were a second, third division sort of team. And then around the time I was born, they became a top tier team and uh, stayed there for most of my life and became sort of an established top tier team. But I don't remember anyone ever thinking that Southampton were a nailed on top tier team. Most Brits sort of thought of them as, uh, yeah, they got some nice players. You know, Matt Letizian, people remember that and all the amazing goals. And they've had some good players, good managers. But no one ever sort of thought Southampton have a kind of divine, God-given right. They absolutely belong in the top tier. And then we get, I think, the last, let's say, 20 years, 15, 20 years, where they've had an absolutely crazy ride. 12 years ago, they were in League One. So then they go promotion, promotion, first season, stabilisation, you know, competitive straight away in the Premier League. They then go, remind me here, Southampton experts, did they go 8th, 6th, 7th, 8th, something like that? Mm, I think They had four seasons of being a top half team and being that kind of Villa, Brighton, Brentford, you know, the disruptor team, you know, the, oh, the, the really clever guys who get it right off the pitch, mm. stable ownership, a good plan. At the time, the plan was all around youth, youth development. We, the Southampton way. I remember people telling me that they, their academy was brilliant and they had a bit of an advantage. Their competitive advantage at the time was because they were on the South Coast and you had that rule about uh, your radius, how far you could go in terms of getting youngsters into your academy. They managed to persuade, yeah, perfectly reasonable, well, half of our radius is in the sea, right? So can we have another site? Their other site was Bath. What did Bath get them? South Wales. Yeah. Who's their most famous player? Gareth Bale. But then, again, gravity sort of takes over. Bad decisions start to creep in. And what have we had for the last four or five years? It's been 17th, 15th. Last year was... They have started started to drift to what I remember. And here we are again. So I I don't see them as a nailed-on Premier League team. I don't necessarily see this as a complete disaster. Next year will be interesting. How do they respond? So then I've thrown it forward again. No, 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 no. But but going back to the past is actually, Jacob, That I mean, it is an important context to throw into this. I mean, you could look at Leicester as well at the moment. I know they've won the, I know they won the title. But you can look at Leeds. You could look at Burnley last season. Clubs who have a, a, a fair to reasonable stay in the Premier League. Leeds are only in their third season. I get it. But also have the, have a model of, you know, they, they do have to move players on. You know, the big clubs do come sniffing and and players are sold. And therefore, you have to rely on your data and your scouting to, and to bring players in. And you can't hit the home run every time with the players you bring in. So at some point, at some point, you may hit the wall like, like this. And, and as painful as that is for fans to hear... There are very few. I mean, there are very few clubs who are going to be immune from that. You can't keep regenerating all the time without the odd season where it's like, oh, 
crikey, we're in a bit of trouble. No, you're right. Football works in cycles. And the issue Slamton had is they didn't know how to break the cycle and, and start afresh and stop stop the inevitable from happening. I think for three or four seasons, they managed to sell players, but continually improve through the recruitment. It was it was sensational, really. You think of that summer where they lost Adam Lallana, Ricky Lamb, yeah. Luke Shaw, these big players, and they replaced them with Sadio Mane, T- Toby Alderweireld. Then they get Van Dijk the following season, Dusan Tadic. These are players that kept making Slamson better. And you think eventually it's going to all catch up with them. And you probably, in hindsight, look back to that Claude Puel season. They came eighth, they got to a cup final, but that's when start- things started to change on the recruitment front. Sadio Mane left, Sofia and Buffal and Nathan Redmond came in. They're, they're two good players, but they're not quite Mane. And I think from there on in, you look at Virgil van Dijk. He left the following season. Wesley Hoyt came in. Slowly and steadily, Slamton didn't quite hit on the recruitment. And for a team that didn't have the money just to say, OK, that didn't work. Let's find another centre-back. That They started to feel it even more. And you probably could argue, if Sport Republic came in a few years earlier with their added resource, they might have been able to fix it straight away. But I think that the wounds were too deep. Uh, and this season, it's been a culmination, as I said, at the top of, of all those errors and, and the misrecruitment and not being able to continue to follow that success on. And those hits and misses come with managers as well. I mean, mm. don't they, Dan? Let's be, you know, for... There's, there's Pochettino and there's there's Hassan Hootl. There was Nigel Atkins back in the day to 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 get them out of the League One and, and and the Championship. But but amongst those hits, they've they've had a they've had a few misses as well. Not not more so than than this season. Well, absolutely. I mean, this season is just been a, a bit of a car crash since they've sacked Ralph. I mean, personally, you could sit here and say maybe they didn't give Nathan Jones enough time but he probably talked himself out of a job yeah. more than anything and in a weird way he's probably perfect for what they'd need next season um but that ship has i, I suspect sailed even after sacking ralph was right okay we want um you know we're gonna go for nathan jones and rasmus had looked at jones for quite a while was well versed in everything nathan jones apart from the fact that he's a little bit of a loose cannon at times um, well, that's, do you camera. think do you think he'd spoken to people I mean, do you think he'd spoken to people who'd been at Stoke with Nathan Jones? Do you do you actually think, which I have done, which is, is really interesting when you talk to, you know, he was a coach at Brighton. I know people who were in were in the squad at Brighton under him. You know, do do they? It's all very well looking at what he did at Luton twice, which is unbelievable. But sometimes one person fits one club. You can't do anything about that. No, no, and would they have looked at what he did at Stoke? Yeah, absolutely. Would they have? Would that have put them off? Clearly not. I mean, they clearly saw enough in in the metrics. You know, I mean, Nathan had was. I mean, I can't remember what it, exactly it was, but he was the best in Europe at something. And my understanding is, is that that data was shown to him by Sport Republic. That wasn't Nathan coming into the room and saying, oh, "I'm the best at Europe at this." Yeah. That's them telling him he's the best at Europe at this. So whatever happened at Stoke was clearly just not important. Um, but then you look at that and the shame of the Nathan Jones era was they were really winnable games. I think you can look back at that period now and you think, well, they were seven games and uh, what did they get? Three points? Was it three points, Jacob? Yeah, right, against, against Frank Lampard's Everton. Okay, against Frank Lampard's Everton. Um, so that that killed them. But then I I think they got their next appointment wrong after that. You know, they, they went to Ruben Sellers, who he was the common theme in the dugout from the summer you know so he he takes his part of, of the blame and why it didn't work yeah. out under Ralph and then and then Nathan Jones and you know they tried to get Jesse Marsh and that failed so yeah the, the managers has been 
it's been poor. I can't work out. I can't work out, Jacob, why? If if already back in the summer they thought there was a chance that Hassan Hootel would go by the World Cup and then they could reset, why they didn't have a list of names ready in the summer, if that's what they thought. Well, they have they have a list of names. They've always said it but be pre sport public they constantly monitor the Well target. in summer in the summer, what I mean, do we honestly think that in the summer, when they were thinking Hassan Hooter will go before the World Cup, that top of that list was Nathan Jones? That's that's the thinking of, of Rasmus Anker. Do you think he, he liked Nathan Jones a lot? It was it was clear from those interviews and when they had their meetings that he was showing remorse of his, how his time at Stoke failed and how he was this new, wise, uh, more mellow more mellow character. And then that quickly became clear that wasn't the case. So Salampton may have this database of managers. They had Zerbi previously, as Dan reported, Thomas Frank. But then ultimately, you can have all these lists of managers, but there's got to be someone that makes a decision and one, someone that picks from the, that list. And it was Rasmus Ankerson who picked Nathan Jones. So everyone else who scouts all these managers, who has the data and they think that this could be the perfect fit, that all means nothing if the person making the decision goes in, a, in an opposite direction. Players-wise, who do you think they will lose this summer? I, th- I think you look at the Slampton's best players and ones that have been able to perform to a, a c- good standard despite the tribulations this season. And you look at Romeo Lavia, Man City have a buyback clause next summer. So you'd think that other clubs would probably want to take advantage of that this summer. Uh, James Ward-Prowse, he's 28 now. Um, there's no release clause on his contract, but it's probably time he's, he's served his dues in, in, in fairness to him. And then you look at the likes of Carl Walker-Peters who, who could attract to a top six, top eight club because he can play left back, right back. He's he's English. So you look at those players and Samson could get good money for them and then that would allow Angus and Sport Republic to reinvest in, into the squad next summer without having to suffer that financial hit of, of relegation. And they will have a new director of football, another new director of football coming in. Is that right? Yes, Jason Walcox coming in from from Man City. He hasn't start officially for a few weeks, but there's obviously been plans in place already. There's a few things that he's been looking at. He's been speaking to a lot of the academy players, B team players, um, just to let them know of his plans. He's rearranging some some of the coaches in the academy already, so he's going to try and build from the ground up. But same, it's, it's a risk because like the players, he's never recruited a senior player. So it's a, such a short summer, but there's so much to do in terms of buying players, selling players and, and basically replacing all those that have left in, in, in the board. Um, you, you talked, Matt, let's do this now to end with the resetting in mm. the in the championship. Okay. Burnley are the Burnley are the the big example that everybody talks about. Iro- ironically with the Southampton player on loan who's been fantastic for them in in, in Nathan oh, in yes. Nathan yeah, Tell. Yeah. Um took a lot of hard work for Burnley to reset. And actually it took a very good appointment for Burnley to reset. Which did raise eyebrows as well at mm. the time. Mm-hmm. Let's not not forget. It can be done, but various pieces need to fall into place. Yeah, it can be done and has is being done on a more regular basis. So we're seeing more of this sort of bounce straight back up um, at the moment. I think I, I've always argued it's largely to do with parachute payments, which does give relegated clubs, particularly in league in the year one, a massive advantage over the field. That it, it doesn't always apply. It does depend on what state you go down in. You know, teams in disarray are still in disarray, whether they have a forty million pound advantage over the field. Norwich or not. and Watford. Uh, yeah, too right, too right. So um, Southampton have an opportunity if they get some decisions right. You're absolutely right. Burnley got the key appointment correct. There's your example. I, from the outside in, I'm not as close to it as 
as Dan and Jacob. I, I, I look, I've been thinking that Southampton have checked out of this season a while ago. It, it was the most anemic effort I've seen from a sort of an established Premier League team to sort of retain Premier League status for a long time. So what have they done? They've gone youth. They appear to have a caretaker manager in place. We know they've got some key appointments coming in. This looks like Sport Republic going, yeah, we're going to start again. Properly start again. There's a lot to get right, but they have got. We've been a Premier League club for a long time. We are well known. We've got some young players. We've got a rich guy who owns us. Let's go again. Do, do, do they have the base, Dan, do you think? Because when we did a Bur- when we did a Vincent Company Burnley promoted podcast, one of the striking things that came out of that for me was Vincent Company went in there and he didn't rip it all up. A lot of what Sean Dyche had put in place, he kept messages around the training ground. Some of the players, Ashley Barnes, a pri- a pri- you know, Burnley are playing great football, but Ashley Barnes is still crucial to them. So he didn't rip everything up. Are the foundations there, do you think? Or because of this sort of year of change and flux, is it less than solid? My take, and Jacob may be different, is I think it's it's less than solid. To be honest, I think that you know, I think you could say the foundations are there if everyone behind the scenes was was singing from the same hymn sheet and they were all agreed on the direction we're going. But because there has been such an overhaul of staff, and that's not just at senior level, that's in the scouting department, the, the data department, you, you name it, a- across the board of that club, there has been lots of change. And I think you can look at that, and for Sport Republic whatever their plan is, whatever their vision is, for it to work, I actually do think they, they do need to make all these changes because you've got so many people there who are stuck in their way of working and their way of doing things. So that's why whenever Rasmus Ankin talks about it and I, I, you know, you kind of read comments online and it frustrates fans that he's like, you know, he doesn't see the championship as a bad thing because to be honest, that's probably where they can make all of these changes. But the risk, as Matt says, you have to kind of get back up in year one. Because if you don't, then it can spiral. But are the foundations there? For me, they're not. But Sport Republic may think otherwise. Yeah. And just on that championship and parachute payments, um, all four playoff teams in the championship uh, don't have parachute payments. So I think that's the sign, isn't it? If you don't get it in the first... That's right, isn't it, Matt? It is true, but the two automatic guys did. did. Yes. Burnley Burnley and Sheffield. If if you don't get it right, you're you're going to be swirling around down there is there confidence do you think finally Jacob that they'll get back to the Premier League at the first attempt from the fans I think it's going to take a big effort from from Sport Republic because from supporters perspective all they've seen is the decisions made this this season have not exactly been fantastic where I think the general feelings they've got to get everything perfect this summer everything recruitment of players staff of the manager who can galvanize the squad but the track record suggests otherwise so I think there's it, there's a bit of scepticism, but Angerson, as he proved at Brentford, when they were in the championship, when they were allowed a little bit more time to breathe and to get the to get the project ready, uh, he can do it. It's just whether there's enough time this summer to get it all done in one go where they can launch their promotion campaign. Good stuff. Thank you, uh, all three of you. More from The Athletic along with our daily podcasts uh, on the website. And to subscribe, just £1.99 a month for the first 12 months, head to theathletic.com slash football pod. More tomorrow. The Athletic.